morning, you beautiful people. How are you? Good. Good. Well, it's wonderful to be back here again. I need to be an octopus. I need to feed my hands. Uh, now, God, I'm happy the way I am. Thank you. Just be careful what words we speak. Can I give a test to it? Amen. <laughs> All right. This fits in with what I'm talking about. So my message today is faith and prayer that never gives up. And um, I, I was just thinking about the stories that you were telling and giving your own testimony of your salvation and what happened. Forever, I've been praying for my family. Not one member of my family has ever been saved. Uh, but I have a story of good news that I'm sharing in my sermon. But in particular, we're praying for our nephew. My nephew, Murray, and his wife, Sarah, and their three children. And on occasions, and they are nothing God about them. In fact, when they got married, I had to allow the mum to... I did the wedding, and Murray told me I had to allow the mum to use crystals. As part of that, right, which I didn't understand, so it didn't hurt me. <laughs> but I'm not really sure what that was all about. Um, so I've, we've been praying for Murray and Sarah and the kids. They've had a whole lot of incidents. <coughs> There's been miracle after miracle, and we've been able to. I've been able to say, tell them I've been praying. Look what happened, and they have to acknowledge that link. And so it's been the sowing of the seed for a long time. And um, and we prayed. I preached in Kerry Kerry on the 20th of February. And we prayed, both prayed that they would come to this because they live in Kirikiri and we'd been there two weeks before and they'd suggested that they thought they might come along that time and I thought, oh yeah. I said to them actually, yeah, pigs fly. It's actually what I said to them. But Ted kept insisting we had to keep praying for the 20th. Just as I was about to step up and pray, while we're doing worship, who walks in and tap, who taps me on the shoulder about Murray and Sarah and the kids? And they came to church. No one in my family has ever been to church in my knowledge of, of my family. And there they are, sitting in church. What's more, after that, Murray, as we're leaving, he comes out to say goodbye and he stays there. I had a 25-minute talk to Murray and I could tell him all about why I followed Jesus and what happened when I got Amen. saved. Hallelujah. Amen. He said to me, he said to me, it's not my time yet, but I know it will come. Yes. Thank you, God. All right? Amen. So keep on praying. This is faith and prayer that never gives up. All right. Now, I was going to tell you a story about a dear friend of mine, Emily. I might just allude to it. Emily came to our church. Um, Tim and I'm a Kiwi, born in the Bay of Islands. My dad had a farm and toy, a dairy farm. And then when I, I did my nurse training, and then when I was 21 or 22 in 1970, I went to Australia, and I met this man from America. Amen. Now, what do you do when you come from New Zealand, he comes from America, and you're in Australia? You stay in Australia, don't you? That's the safest place to be. So we stayed there for 14 years, and then nine years ago, we came back to New Zealand because I was training chaplains in Australia, and... New Zealand Assembly of God asked if we would bring the course to New Zealand. So for the last nine years, I've written and rewritten the course, and we now go from a certificate to a diploma to a degree here Amen. in New Zealand. The only one that's recognised in New Zealand as a chaplaincy training course. We've just started our first uh, new class in Whangarei. Alright, um, that started last week. So that's a bit about background. But while we're in Australia, we were there for 40 years, and we were in a church that had a church split within months of us starting there, and we had 32 people in the church after the split. And over the, uh, that was 1987, and we left in 2009, over that period of time, the church grew from 32 to about 1,500 people. Amen. Right? 
Now part of that was because of my friend Emily, who arrived in 1996, and she is God's prayer warrior. She is passionate about prayer and fasting. She practices what she preaches, and she had a profound impact upon my life. And I attribute my commitment to prayer and fasting to Emily because mm -hmm. of the moral modelling that she did. Um, when I think of Emily, she reminds me of a guy, a well-known um, guy who lived in the 1800s. His name was George Mueller. He was a man of great faith and prayer who never gave up or gave in in order to fulfil the call of God upon his life. Um, I'm just going to read you a little bit about George Mueller. Um, he, he, he lived 83 years, born in 1805, died in 1898. He was a Christian evangelist and he had all these orphanages. And it was really the orphanages that got him going because God just showed him all the time these homeless kids, nobody looking after them on the streets in England. And he had such a compassion for them. The first of all, his wife, and he opened up their house and they brought kids into the house. They had 30 girls in their home. And then he decided, maybe I need to pray even harder and ask God, where are we going to put these um, kids? And over a period of about, um, that was, he was 31 years when they started taking kids into their home. Over a period of nine years, um, uh, Mueller actually organised for um, the first orphanage to be built and four years later in 49 that um, new home was opened. Uh, 21 years later there are 1,722 kids being accommodated in five homes and he has no money and he doesn't ask a single person for any money. But all of it has been funded and it's come because of prayer. Just prayer. Now there's one other thing I want to say about him, I think. Um, in 1875, at the age of 70, after the death of his first wife in, in 1970 and his marriage to Sarah Grace Sanger in 1871, this should all be 1800s, Mula and Sarah um, began a 17-year period of missionary travel. He travelled to more than 200,000 miles, which was an incredible achievation, uh, achievement in those pre-aviation days. All right, and um, 17 years he did this. Spoke in English, French, German, and all his um, sermons were translated into whatever country, the language of the country. He's written books, but what he did do was he kept a diary. All of his life he kept a diary. And so what we're going to look at today is some of the things that Muller wrote in his diary and see what we can learn about prayer, faith, the relationship between faith and prayer. Um, an entry in his diary on November the 12th, 1857 reads, the long looked for and long prayed for day has arrived and the desire of my heart has been granted to me. I opened the door for 400 more orphans today. This was orphanage number two. How precious this was to me after praying every day for seven years. This blessing, however, did not come unexpected to me, but had been looked for and had been expected in the full assurance of faith in God's own time. On this, 
quote, based on this quote, as well as the amazing example of this man and his life to prayer, we can see three keys to prayer that we're going to look at this morning. Number one, he was a man of believing prayer. Number two, he was a man of sincere prayer. And number three, he was a man of persevering prayer. I think we can learn from people like this, don't you? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, I come to you this morning. I thank you that you're already in the house, that you've already touched so many people. I thank you for the amazing testimonies that have already been shared. Father, I pray that as I speak this morning, there'll be all of you and none of me. Spirit of God, speak to every person in this heart house. Touch our hearts, Lord. Stir up our conscience and cause us to learn from what we're hearing about having believing, sincere, and persevering prayer that you might do miracles for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's look first at believing prayer. In Matthew, no, in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, we read, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now we can see in here, we're going to look at this a bit more carefully, that there's actually an if, a button and if in here, all right, that's conditional that you will get whatever you pray for, but we will look at it. So in the quote, George Mueller said, This blessing did not come unexpectedly to me, but it had been looked for and had been expected in the full assurance of faith. In other words, his prayers were believing prayers. Prayers that he believed God would answer. Prayers that he expected to see an outcome for. Mueller was a man of great faith who was in constant prayer with his God, a God in whom he had unshakable faith. Do you have unshakable faith in your God? Muller prayed about everything and expected every prayer to be answered. Everything. 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 Not just the times when we're in trouble. Not just when we feel we have a need for something we can't control. But in everything he prayed. His faith in God strengthened day by day as he spent hours in daily prayer and Bible reading. Now one could not say this man didn't do anything else except work praying. You can't have orphanages and have lots of kids that you've got to look after and care for and manage and do all that without doing a lot of hard work. And yet he put prayer as a priority. Prayer was a priority. He spent several hours a day in prayer and Bible reading. It was his practice in later years to read through the entire Bible four times a year. And he did that because he said, how will I know what is God's will? How will I know that what I'm praying is what God can bless and provide? Unless I know what God believes, what God practices, what God wants us to be like. And that's why, you know, prayer, we're talking about prayer, but we started in January, no, February, January. We started in January talking about the Word of God, didn't we? That's why we get the soul food. We started there because it starts in the Word, and as we read the Word, we get convicted, and we're able to move into the things that God wants for us. But it's also the Word that tells us what we can pray and be certain that we're going to receive. Because otherwise, our personal fleshly needs, the worldly desires, 
you know, somebody was saying that every time we go out in the world, you know, we just we see notices, we see books, we're gaming, doing all this stuff, and there's all the stuff that's of the enemy, of the devil, and of the world that's attracting us and distracting us. How do we know the difference between what we can pray and what we can't? The only way we can do that is in the Word. That's our guide or our measure. So he, he read it. He never sought donations from specific individuals. He relied on the Almighty for all of his needs. Many times he received unsolicited food donations. Only hours. <coughs> Thank you, Jesus. I've got this irritable cough, which is really bad at the moment. And I'm talking on a subject the enemy doesn't want me to talk on. Right? The enemy is going to try and interrupt what I'm saying, but we don't allow that, do we? Because we're children of God and we have the authority and the power of God. So in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave me now, devil. I thank you, Lord Jesus, you're in control. Come and control me. Control my voice. My breathing in Jesus' name. Wow. I can feel the prayer. I can feel the power. You guys have great prayers. Hallelujah. Alright. So one example of this is quite well documented. Thanks had been given for breakfast. All the kids, lots of kids were all around the table. They were waiting for the food. They all sat down, they prayed, and they waited. There was not one piece of food in that house. They prayed and they waited. When they got to the end of the prayer and were giving thanks to God and praising the Lord, there was a knock at the door and it was the baker with sufficient fresh bread to feed everyone. Just got the bread and started to share it on the table. Another knock on the door, and it's an old man who gave them plenty of fresh milk because his cart had broken down right outside the orphanage. Praise God. He never doubted that God would provide for every need because he was sure that he was praying in accordance with God's specific will for him, an assurance that came out of deep intimacy with the Lord. 1 John 5, 14-15 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That knowing he listens to us, if we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever it is that we ask according to his will, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Another Bible version of this verse says, And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, then we can be sure and very certain that he will answer us. Amen? This is a faith. This is a believing prayer. It comes out of faith. This is, it's faith that enables us to pray with certain and sure belief, confidently and with boldness, trusting that the Lord not only hears, but that he will also answer our prayers. This quote I'm about to say is on the wall. Um, faith, as it is related to prayer, is not a tool we use to obtain what we want, but rather it's a mindset. It's a way we think, what we believe in our head, enabling us to pray as we ought. It, such a mindset creates a state of mind whereby our prayers most often, or more nearly, line up with God's characters, God's goals, and his methods for achieving his goals. In this way, we can be certain our praying is in accordance with his will because we're praying by faith and we're praying in faith. Amen? 
Therefore, faith must become the mindset that we approach God in prayer and understand God's dealings in relation to us in the prayer. Faith tells us that when answers don't come immediately, it doesn't mean that they won't come at all, because we know by faith that God is fully honest and fully able to keep his promises, which he does keep. Including promises to hear us when we ask and to answer our prayers when they are in accordance with his will. When they are in accordance with his will and when he gives us a specific personal word. Amen? Faith also tells us that when the answer we receive is not the answer we expect or we want, that we have surely got the right answer because God is a good and caring God, uh, a good and caring Father, and in Psalm 103 verse 13 it says he's tender and compassionate towards those who reverence him. So as we believe in him, we trust him, we adore him, we love him, we are obedient to him, as we read the word and we pray in faith, we know that if he gives us something we don't want, it's what he knows we need, because he knows everything about us. He knows what's coming ahead, which we have no idea. So just because it's not what you want or what you expect doesn't mean he hasn't answered. He's done it according to his perfect will for you. Amen? Uh, Matthew 21 verse 22 says, And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Believe in prayer, number one. Second one is sincere prayer. Again, quoting from George Mueller, The desire of my heart has been granted to me. This blessing did not come from me unexpectedly, come to me unexpectedly. Faith counsels us that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. Delighting ourselves in the Lord is about drawing closer to God, getting so close to the Lord that we are so familiar with what he thinks that his ideas become our ideas. What he would ask for is what we ask for, because what begins to delight our hearts are the things that delight God's heart. So the key to having a um, successful prayer life is actually intimacy with God. Now that means, because it's got, we're talking about sincere prayer, it means this is a prayer that comes from our heart. It's a prayer that speaks honestly about how we're feeling at the time when we're praying. It's not something people tell us to pray, it's not something we think we should pray. Sincere prayer is genuine prayer, it's real prayer, it's authentic prayer. Yeah? Because who on earth and in heaven knows better what's going on inside us than God? He even knows better than we know ourselves. Yeah? yeah. So we can't fool him. He actually knows what's going on. <laughs> Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us come near to God with a sincere heart and a sure faith. Or a full assurance of faith. A sincere heart produces sincere prayers. Sincere prayers are humble, authentic, no cliches, no fillers, but direct, honest, and from the heart. Sincere prayers says what you're thinking and feeling with fear and guilt, without any fear, no guilt, no embarrassment. It confesses wrong, it acknowledges offence, it expresses doubt and worry, fear and confusion, whatever it is you're feeling. Nothing withheld, all is shared with a compassionate God who knows us and loves us. Sincere prayer is blind Bartimaeus' direct reply to Jesus' query about what he needed. Simple, direct. 
Rabbi, I want to say sincere prayer. It's a humble tax collector. He stands in the distance, can't even look up to heaven because he feels so unworthy, beating his breast and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a blind beggar at the roadside, shouting loudly to Jesus as he passes by, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the more they told him to keep quiet, the louder he shouted because he needed Jesus to hear in the crowd. Um, and then he tells Jesus, I want to see. It's also the father of a boy possessed by an evil spirit, saying, honestly, I do believe. Oh, God, help me overcome my unbelief. Acknowledging the fact we have an unbelief in our hearts. We don't always believe all the time. Right? It's also the psalmist who asks God to come near, saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious ways. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's being willing to say, okay, God, I know I've messed up. I know I mess up every day. If I didn't, I'd be God. Because only God is perfect. Amen? So I recognise I'm less than perfect. And I know every day there's stuff I'm thinking and saying and doing that's not godly or godlike. And admitting that and asking God to teach us about that, to convict us of it and help us to work on it. Thirdly, it's persevering prayer. In regards to the orphanages, Mueller said, the long looked for and long prayed for day has arrived, praying every day for seven years in God's own time it came. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, who was a contemporary of Mueller, said of him, when I was conversing lately with our dear friend George Mueller, he frequently astonished me in the way in which he mentioned that he had, for so many years and months, asked for such and such a mercy and praised God for it as though he had actually obtained it. Even in praying for the conversion of a person, as soon as he began to intercede for that soul, he also began to praise God for the conversion of that person. He knew it would be a fact one day, and so he started praising God in anticipation. I think he told us he had, in one instance, already prayed for 30 years, and the work was not yet done. Yet all the while he'd gone on thanking God because he knew that the prayer would be answered one day. Muller often reflected of himself. Trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of my faith. Because I know that my God always provides what he promises, and this compels me to keep on praying until the victory comes. How often have we stopped too soon? Or stopped before we've got an answer? Right? For him... His faith in God was the thing that kept him pressing on, kept him persevering. It's impossible that God would not provide an answer. God does it his way, his time, maybe not what I expect, but God will certainly do it. Persevere in it, don't give up. Right? Keep on pressing on. The testimonies we've heard today already are as examples of that. Um, in his autobiography on uh, the 12th of February, 1842, Mueller wrote, A brother in the Lord came to me this morning, and after only a few minutes of conversation, he gave me £2,000 for furnishing the new orphan house. 
Now I am able to meet all of the expenses. In all probability, I will even have several pounds more than I need. The Lord not only gives as much as is absolutely necessary for his work, but he gives abundantly, exceedingly more than we could ever ask or imagine. This blessing filled me with inexplicable delight. He had given me the full answer to my thousands of prayers during the past 1,195 days. That is just over three and a quarter years. All right? Persevering prayer, praying without ceasing, praying in faith, fully convinced that God would provide what he has promised in his good time. Hebrews 10.36 says you need to persevere so that when you have um, done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. I'm not going to tell you the testimony of my mum because I don't have time, but um, I prayed for my mum for almost 31 years for salvation. And every time she had an opportunity to receive Christ, which was numerous times, she would resist. Right up until the day she was dying, she resisted. But after two years of me pleading incessantly and continuously begging God over and over, not those sincere, simple prayers, and a, a prattling on and a carrying on and driving him mad. One day he met me at an altar call for healing um, seminar, and he said to me, Pam, I've heard your prayers. You don't have to keep on pushing me all the time. I've heard your prayers. He says, your mother will not die until she has met with me. On the year, over the years that came after that, each time she had an opportunity to give the Lord, to have the Lord, I'd get disappointed, and then that promise would come back to me, and I'd have a peace. On the day she died, because I knew that she was dying, I said, which was just over a year ago, I, I said to the Lord, um, Lord, I'm here and I'm going to pray and I'm going to keep on praying. <laughs> and I'm going to pray that you'll come to her as you promised me and that you will ask her the question. <coughs> you will invite her to have you in her life. I don't, I'm not looking for her to say yes. All right, I'm just asking that you meet with her and you present the question to her and you keep on presenting it to her until she gives you an answer. I prayed for 20 minutes and as I prayed, I saw the spiritual battle going on, just getting agitated, more and more agitated, and then uh, one, uh, towards, just uh, towards the end of the 20 minutes, <coughs> thank you Jesus, thank you Lord, thank you Jesus, get off, devil in the name of Jesus. Um, she opened her eyes and looked at me defiantly, struggled a bit more, I could see it going up, and then suddenly a smile came on her face. <coughs> a peace came over her and she died in less than an hour and a half later. I am fully convinced that I will meet her again one day. But, even if I don't, I know that God fulfilled his promise. He told me she would not die until she met with him. I know that she met with him, I know that he asked her the question. Because of what I saw outwardly, I have a conviction that she actually said yes when he asked the question. But God was faithful and he did what he promised. 31 years, persevering prayer. 
You know, Muller played every day for five unsaved friends. One came to Christ after five years, two, two more came to Christ after ten years. After 35 years, the fourth one came to the Lord. After 52 years of praying, with thanksgiving for the renewal of the soul of his fifth friend, Mueller died not seeing his prayers answered. But on the day of Mueller's funeral, this man gave his life to the Lord. Prayer and faith that never gives up. We've looked at the example of George Mueller. It was one of believing prayer, sincere prayer, persevering prayer. Luke 18, 1 says, always pray and never always pray and never give up. It's interesting to note that Georgia Mueller's early life was not marked by right to clean living. In fact, it was the exact opposite. For the first 20 years of his life, he was a thief, a liar, a drunk, a drinker, and a gambler. At the age of 10, he's stealing money, government money, from his dad's wallet. When his mum was dying, when he was 14, he wasn't at home, he was out playing cards and drinking. Um, he himself says when he was at university, wicked behavior, uh, his status was one of wicked behavior, unrepentant spirit. Despite my lifestyle and cold heart, God had mercy on me. Um, one day, at the age of 25, he went to a private home where there was a prayer meeting. And he was so overwhelmed by what he experienced there, the presence of God, that he made a commitment to the Lord and the swift transformation began this behaviour. Well, said in his autobiography, I have no doubt that God began a work of grace in me during that prayer. One prayer. During that prayer. Even though I scarcely had any knowledge of who God was, that evening was a turning point in my life. Now today, this is a turning point in some of your lives. Would the worship team come up please? This can be the turning point in your life. All it takes is one prayer, one prayer, and I'm willing to pray that prayer with you. Could you stand up as the worship team comes up? Now what I want you to do is I want you to think about where you're at in your relationship with God. Maybe you've never made a commitment to God in your life. Maybe you've known God, and but you've gone off and you've been doing your own thing. Maybe you're here in church and you come every week, but you have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. You're not fully and totally committed to Christ. Therefore, you can't pray these sort of prayers and you can't see these sort of results because you're not fully believing. You're not fully sincere and you're not persevering in your prayer. Right? We're going to open up this altar now. And for those of you who have a conviction in your heart that you need to change your prayer life and you would like somebody to join with you in prayer so that together you can to God sincerely, believing, persevering, then we're willing to pray with you. But I'm particularly interested in those people who are in this place today who have never made a commitment to the Lord. Just like George Mueller, this could be your turning point. Right here, right now, in, in this building today. If that's you, and you're saying, yep, I've heard this word, and my life isn't exactly going well for me. I'm not really living the way I want to live. Life is tough and it's hard. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm um, doing things that I'm not proud of. Then you need to look for that moment of turning point. You need to change your life. And the way to do that is to ask um, Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life and to help you work with you to change your mindset 
and to bring you to a place where you can fully trust God and then see the blessings of God out working in your life. This day, morning has been all about stories about the blessings of God. The power of God and how God has done amazing things. We heard an amazing story of a miracle that took place in somebody's spine, all right? Amazing stories. If God can do it for those people, he can do it for you. Today might be your turning point. Is it your turning point? Is today going to be your turning point? While everyone's got their heads bowed and they're praying, I'm going to ask you to take a risk.